Good evening. My name is Jordan Greer, and I'm the pastoral intern here at Eastminster, and it is a joy to be with you here this evening, bringing you the Word of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we come before you tonight asking for you to speak to us through your Word. Would your Holy Spirit rest upon this place and speak to each of us, God, If there's anything, God, that I'm going to say that is not of you, would you let it fall away? But, Lord, whatever you need to speak to your people tonight, would you let them receive it by the power of your spirit? I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this evening comes from Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, and I'll read it for us. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged an oath to our ancestors in days long ago. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was growing up, I rarely got in trouble. And to my siblings' uh, jealousy, this really bothered them. I have an older sister. She's eight years older than me. And I have an older brother who's six years older than me, who surprised me by coming tonight. So shout out. Um, But... They, I, I don't know what my sister was like. Being eight years older, I didn't exist when she was, you know, in her younger years getting in trouble. Um, but the stories I've heard, she was, you know, middle-level mischievous. Not super, you know, troublemaker, but also not perfectly innocent like me. And so, <laughs> just kidding. But then there was my brother. And the stigma in our household is he was kind of the troublemaker growing up. And it was a weekly basis for him to receive spankings and discipline. Um, he just he just invited the trouble. <laughs> and um, like I said, when I was growing up, I don't know if it's the being the third child and the baby and the parents are more lenient with me or if it's, you know, because I am perfectly innocent. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but I didn't get in trouble that often. And part of the reason for that is I had a very sensitive conscience. If my parents looked at me the wrong way, I just started weeping. Um, And I often felt that when they were disappointed with me or when I was in trouble, I felt crushed. I felt like I was the worst kid in the whole world, and I felt rejected by them and abandoned and everything else that you can possibly imagine. And I don't know what camp you fall into if you're, you know, the one always getting in trouble or if you hate getting in trouble and you avoid it at all costs, but... Sometimes we feel that way with God as well. We feel like God is punishing us or against us or angry with us or rejecting us. And if you have ever felt that way or if you feel that way tonight, you can relate to the people of Israel when Micah was speaking to them. Micah's first verse says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives transgression? 
And while this is amazing about the character of God, it also tells us something about the state of Israel at the time, that they needed God's forgiveness and that they needed his pardon. And so when we look at the state of Israel when Micah was writing to them, they are full of sin. Now, the stigma for Israel is that they were constantly turning away from God and turning towards idolatry. And that was true here, too. They were struggling with idolatry. But they were struggling with more than that as well. They were also oppressing the poor. And so the poor um, were having their houses stolen, their fields stolen. And then when they would take something that they um, had gathered from their fields to the marketplace, the people who were measuring the grain were using false scales. So in our lingo, if I was supposed to get $5 for a pound of grain, but I was a poor person, they would give me $2 for that pound. And so the poor felt this massive injustice because they're already poor and it's being perpetuated. And so they would take their case to the judge. And in front of the judge, they did not receive justice because the judges were taking bribes from the rich people so that the rich people did not get in trouble for what they were doing to the poor. And you can see their dilemma. And the problem here is that the judges were not the only people taking bribes. It was also the prophets, the priests, the rulers. And so any time the people of Israel wanted to hear something, they would just pay somebody to say it. Can you imagine going up to Pastor Stan when you're struggling with a particular sin and you ask him to preach that that sin is okay in the pulpit? It's unthinkable, right? But this is the state that Israel was in. They were living in sin. They were consumed with their own self-destruction. And it is in this context that Micah says words that we're, we don't really understand. Why, why is he saying, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant. Usually that would come on the heels of Israel doing something amazing and receiving God's mercy because they've earned it. But is that what we see? No. What God does is he interrupts Israel's mess with exile. Israel is in a state of self-defeating behavior and destruction and judgment. And God removes them from this cycle of sin that they find themselves in, and he drives them into exile as part of his judgment. And we think that, you know, that could be the end of the story, right? God just lets his people die off in exile, die off in his judgment. But Micah says that he's pardoning sin and forgiving transgression. And Micah realizes that exile is a form of God's mercy as well. Micah 2.10, earlier in his writing, he says, For this, this is God speaking to the people of Israel. He says, For this is not your resting place, because it is defiled. It is ruined beyond all remedy. And so the people of Israel had ruined not only themselves, but the land that they lived in. And in order to be taken out of their self-destructing patterns, God picks them up and moves them into exile. And in chapter 4, we, we see why. Chapter 4 says, you shall go to Babylon, there you shall be rescued. So part of God moving them into exile is because of his mercy and love for the people. 
And God is pardoning and overlooking their sin because he delights in mercy. The next sentence says, You don't stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. God interrupts the Israelites' mess with mercy. And God interrupts our mess with his mercy. And often we find ourselves in a similar state as Israel. We find ourselves facing sin, destruction, our sin patterns. And I'm going to ask each of you to take one of these and pass it down. Um, And then I want you to hold it in your left hand. Or right, whatever. But this is a sugar cube. And this for you tonight is going to represent the sinful state that you find yourself in before God meets us with his mercy. I don't know how many there are. If y'all need more, I'll come around. Just take one and pass it down. This represents our sin in our self-destruction. Here you go, Susan. You guys have enough? You guys need any? There you go. And one more. Here you go, Joseph. Ooh, nice catch. All right, thanks for amusing me with that detour. So this sugar cube represents our sinful state. And we are often stuck in that sinful state, in that shameful state, and in that brokenness. And so maybe you've walked in tonight with baggage or shame that haunts you. I don't know. But I do know that God interrupts our mess with his mercy. And the way that he demonstrates this is clear in the next verse. It says, you will have, again, compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And one thing I want to point out here is that um, this is one of those nerding out moments about the Bible. (laughs) Um, If you look at the text, it says, who is a God like you? Who is forgiving our sins and who is pardoning our transgression. But here you notice the verbs shift forward. You will have compassion. You will be faithful. You will crush. This is pointing forward to the birth of Jesus. And God interrupts, interrupts the mess of our world with Jesus. And so God demonstrates his mercy by sending Jesus to be born in a manger in Bethlehem. And in order to have compassion on somebody, you have to recognize their suffering state. And Jesus, he sees this burden in our lives, this sinful burden that is crushing us under its weight, and it is killing us because we are in our own self-destruction that is killing us day by day by day. But God, 
delights in mercy. And he steps into our sinful state. He steps into our world, our mess, in the person of Jesus. And he has compassion on us. And God's compassion is partly his empathy for us. And Jesus can empathize with sin's crushing temptation in our life. Because remember in the wilderness when he faced temptation? It's like sin was tempting him and the burden was there, but he resisted it. God can empathize with our situation. But the beautiful thing about God's compassion is it's so much more than empathy. It is that. But it's also God taking action. And so God, Jesus, in the flesh, steps into our mess, empathizes with us. But the text says he will tread our sins underfoot. This is some weird language. Basically, he's going to smash or crush our sins under his feet. And that's the action he takes. And so this crushing of sin underfoot This, which was crushing us, he is going to crush. And so we're here under the burden of sin and in our own self-destruction, and it's pushing us further down into death. And Jesus steps in and crushes it by being crushed himself on the cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Jesus shows us compassion by being crushed from that which crushed us. And in the crushing, he stomped on sin. He defeated sin. And he defeated the power of sin and death on the cross of Calvary. And so now, when we are faced with the temptation of sin, it is no longer this crushing sin because Jesus has conquered it. And so if we are in Jesus and we have the power of the spirit of Jesus living within us, we too, like Jesus in the wilderness, can resist the temptation that is trying to be a burden again. But that burden has been defeated on the cross. One scholar, his name is Fawcett, he says, when God takes away the guilt of sin, that it may not condemn us, he takes away also the power of sin, that it may not rule us. And then Micah keeps going and he says, you're going to hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And the sea here I believe, is referring to the blood of Jesus that drips down Calvary's cross. One of my favorite song lyrics, hymn hymn lyrics, is there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. God has hurled 
our sin and our shame into the sea of his blood. And our sins have drowned, no longer to be a burden to us, no longer to haunt us, but they are done away with. This is what Jesus does. He steps into our world, and he has empathy with us. He empathizes with us. And he faces sin's temptation, and he resists it. And then he goes to the cross, and he becomes sin for us. And he allows it to crush him. And then, once he crushes sin by allowing it to crush him, he rises from the dead and he hurls our iniquities into the depths of the sea. No longer to be remembered. And some people We'll try to go back to that place, to that sea, and grab that sugar cube back out. Grab that sin back out and throw it in your face. And maybe you're doing that to yourself. But God's forgiveness is permanent. And we see in the next line that God is faithful. He's faithful to Jacob, and he shows love to Abraham as he pledged long ago. And so now we live on the other side of this promise. The promise to Abraham and Jacob. The promise to Abraham was that he would multiply his descendants and that they would inherit the land and that ultimately all of the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. And Jesus was a descendant of Abraham. And so when he is on the cross, when he's in the grave, when he rises from the dead, he fulfills the promise to Abraham. Because now through his death and resurrection, all of the nations can become a child of God, can be included into the family of Israel. Through Jesus, he keeps his promise to Abraham. But the text also says that you'll be faithful to Jacob. And the, and the promise to Jacob was also to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So why does Micah include it as a separate little, instead of saying Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why does he just say Jacob here? And I believe that it's because in Jacob's promise from God, there's one slight addition. Everything is the same except one addition. And that, God, and that is that God promises to be with Jacob. He promises him his presence. And we received that promise in the incarnation of Jesus. But in Jesus' ascension to the Father, we also received the Spirit. And so this promise is still being fulfilled today. God has not left us. His presence is still with us. And wherever you are today, I don't know what you brought here with you, baggage, shame, brokenness. 
but the Holy Spirit's presence is still interrupting the mess of our lives beautifully. And he's empathizing with our situation today. And he's showing us mercy today. And so now, because of the cross, because of the resurrection, and because of the Spirit's presence with us, we can resist temptation. We can show others mercy as we have been shown mercy. And we can point others to Jesus, especially in this Advent season. Corey Ten Boom is uh, a Holocaust survivor, and she's where I got this illustration from. And she says, when we confess our sins, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. I believe God then places a sign out there that says, no fishing allowed. And so the Holy Spirit's presence with us today reminds us of what Jesus has done on the cross. And it also reminds us that he is with us today, continuing to show us mercy in what circumstances we find ourselves in right now. And when people come and they say, well, look what you've done. Look at your past. They're going fishing in private property And the beautiful thing about this is that, just like this sugar dissolves in water, if somebody wants to go and fish that sugar cube back out, guess what? It's not there. It's dissolved. So they can go fishing. You can go fishing for it. But it's gone. It's erased. It's thrown into the depths of the sea. And so if you feel like you've been rejected by God or abandoned, You're not. God wants to show you mercy because he delights in it. He wants to give it to you. Often in this world, we see people begging for mercy, right? You go to a king, a ruler, a judge, whatever the case is, and if you want mercy, you got to beg for it. But that is not the case with our God because he delights to give it. He can't wait to give it to you. And God's greatest act of mercy begins in a manger in Bethlehem and ends on the cross of Calvary where he laid his life down for you and me. And we've been going through this season of Advent and we're talking about why we need Christmas. And I believe that we need it because it's the demonstration of God's steadfast love and faithfulness and mercy to us 2,000 years ago, but also today through the presence of his spirit with us. It's through Jesus and the Christmas story that we find the embodiment of God's forgiveness and mercy and compassion and faithfulness and love. And hope for God's people rests in his forgiveness and mercy. God stepped in to the mess of our world, and he met us with mercy. This is why our God is unlike any other, and this is why Micah marvels, who is a God like you?
that would be willing to step into our mess with God's mercy. That is why we need Christmas. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this evening, and we thank you for your word of mercy. God, would you help us to leave this place knowing that we have received your mercy through Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, that you do not stay angry with us, but that you forgive. Help us to walk in that forgiveness as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.